and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to see you all. <clears throat> so whilst I was thinking about a few ideas to bring today, um, relevant to the Christmas season and message, the phrase, the word became flesh, not the word became text, came into my mind. Over the years, we have explored many of these ideas, such as Rob Bell's Brickianity versus Living Stones. The word isn't written on stone, but on human hearts and that the revelation of Christ is a sound that resonates through time and not a one-time event to be made a sacred cow. I have been doing a lot of reading about the Dark Ages, the Enlightenment, and the Renaissance recently. Some refer to the Dark Ages as an era of intelligence on strike. Every period ruled by religious dogma and subjective mysticism resulted in stagnation and want a longing to leave the pain of this world and enter the next, working to simply survive instead of thrive, and the surrendering of one's life to the religious establishment, refusing to think, to venture, to produce, to create, and to subdue. The enlightenment which brought an end to this horrible period of time is understood to have been brought about by the rebirth of reason. Confidence in the power of man replace dependence on rituals. One could argue Jesus was a figure leading people to an enlightenment in a time where they were subject to the rule of brutes, convincing them that they were unworthy of life unless they fulfilled the criteria of the text. The religious establishment used their texts as justification to enslave and dominate its people. Has the figure of Jesus then become just as much of a text-based dogma, completely missing the point of Christ consciousness being outworked in that particular time and space? Paul, in his New Testament writings, was pleading with people to not forget what it was all about and that they would be guilty of slipping back into the way that things were. The clip of Star Wars that we showed at the beginning was The Last Jedi film showed Yoda as a ghost burning all the sacred texts, much to Luke's horror. But as Yoda says, for you to look past a pile of old books, to which Luke shouts, the sacred Jedi texts, Yoda responds, page turners they were not. Yes, wisdom they held, but that library contained nothing that the girl Ray does not already possess. And then the most powerful line, Skywalker, still looking to the horizon, never here and now, the need in front of your own nose. Jesus' message brought a fundamental change in emphasis. From God 
as an external force to the sacredness of the individual and the idea that all life is holy. Humans were the physical, tangible expression of the divine, solid, eternal, and real in their own right. You and the Father are one. Ye are gods. The kingdom of heaven is within you. For centuries, nature had been regarded as a realm of miracles manipulated by a deity, a realm whose significance and power was dictated by those behind the temple curtain. Now, a new ideal was in play. The conviction was that mankind is a realm governed by grace, worthiness, and acceptance. It is a conviction to be accepted and lived, not a dogma to be revered. The more we institutionalize the message and trap its power within the pages of a textbook, that which was supposed to bring liberation ends up as a stale and corrupted as the very thing it was trying to eliminate. The challenge I want to pose this, this Christmas is this. Have you slipped back into the dark ages? Do you need to burn some books? Is it time to enter a new enlightenment of joy, liberation, freedom, and peace? The Christmas message is about birth, newness, and life. I will therefore close with the words from the Queen, not Elizabeth, but Beyonce herself. <laughs> if you feel insignificant, you better think again. Better wake up because you're part of something way bigger. Not just a speck in the universe, not just some words in a Bible verse. You are the living word. You're part of something way bigger. Bigger than you, bigger than we, bigger than the picture that they framed us to see. And now we see it and it isn't no secret. Understand the truth about that question in your soul. Look up, don't look down, then watch the answers unfold. Life is your birthright, they hid that in the fine print. Take the pen and rewrite it. Step out of your estimate, step into your essence, and know that you're excellent, rise. The spirit is teaching, I'm not just preaching, I'm taking my own advice. So as I take my own advice this morning, I pray today that as we close 2023 and enter a new year, you find and rediscover your most liberated self and experience your own enlightenment and rebirth like never before. Thank you. I love that. I loved the idea of letting your traditions grow because we all have traditions. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that when it's still bringing life. Because actually there can be comfort and all of you, some of you, your Christmas traditions are going to have things that just bring you comfort and joy every single year. But if we never let them grow and never um, work out whether they've still got meaning for us, that's where we can trip up. And I referenced a story in the um, office this week that because I work with really young, glorious people in their 20s a lot of the time, um, they looked at me like I was going mad because we were talking about how... Um, the, as a company, sometimes we're doing things that may not be relevant anymore and we need to change them. I said, it's a bit like, you know, the pot roast story. And so they looked at me like I was mad. Um, they said, what are you talking about? Why have we gone from work to pot roast? But they'd never heard it. And this story must have come up two or three times since. I'm just going to tell you the story quickly. Uh, the parable of the pot roast. Some of you will have heard it, but it's a good story. Now, you can tell it's old because it still has all the women in the kitchen. So just look over that. Um, 
So there's a, a daughter speaking to her mum, and they're preparing the pot roast, which is like your meat and your vegetables to put in the oven. And so she notices in the course of preparation that her mother chops the end off the joint of meat. And she said, why are you chopping the end off the meat? And the mum says, oh, I'd, I'd, it cooks better. It's what my mum always did. So the daughter says, well, why? She says, oh, I, I don't know. I just know that it cooks better like this. So when she sees her grandma, says to her grandma, I noticed mum doing this the other day. Why do you chop the end off the meat before you put it in the oven? So grandma says, oh, it's what my mother always did. I watched her do it for years, um, and, you know, that's what I've always done too. Great-grandmother's still alive. So when she sees great-grandmother, the daughter says, can I just ask, why do you chop the end off the, the meat? And she said, oh, she said, well, when I was much younger, we only had a small house with a small oven. It wouldn't fit in the oven. So I had to chop the ends off to get it to go in the oven. Now, it's a great story and it's a great parable because there was really good reason for the first person to do that. But then it stopped and there wasn't good reason anymore. And so this tradition that was passed down was actually equated to less food than they could have had and waste of something that they could have been enjoying. And so just, you know, my reflection this morning is that have your traditions that you love, but just make sure they're not costing you food in life that is there for you to eat, but you're not enjoying it because someone somewhere in the past handed something down to you that now has no meaning, no relevance, but you're just replicating it because it is what was. And as we move into a new year, there's always a time of reflection, but don't take with you things that were, that are no longer relevant. Let's let our traditions grow um, and have different and richer experiences. And I'm gonna play now, I forgot what was coming next. Last year we played this clip by a guy called Richard Raw, who had let his tradition go around Christmas, but also he tells the history of what it was originally. Now, we played it last year, but we don't remember things we only ever see once. None of us do. So we're going to play it again. For some of you, you won't remember it. It'll be the first time you've seen it. But it was really interesting to hear where the tradition of Christmas came from. And I think the spirit of that is something we should go back to. And perhaps that's the thing we should always go back to, like Joel was saying, the spirit of the thing is worth going back to, not the tradition of the outworking of the thing. So it's about four minutes and it's, it's absolutely wonderful, so enjoy. So um, when we were discussing what to bring this week, before we went down the long rabbit hole of all the various things we could bring, I was like, oh, I've got a nativity story, because I've been at a nativity. Anybody else been at a nativity this week? Yeah, or enjoyed a nativity? Well, I've done three, so I've done, my, I've done one for at least another two of you. Um, but the first one was the highlight, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, and those of you who've been to nativities before know that schools find endless ways to tell the same story in a million different ways. So every year the nativity is something new. This year it was pretty poor, I'll be honest. But it, um, but it had its highlight, which I want to tell you about. So Ada was an angel, um, and all 18 of the angels <laughs> came in together and paraded around the audience, all the way around, and then sat in their seats. It was like effortless. 
They were very angelic. They were kind of ushering each other along and all had their heads up high. They were a proper group of age five and six girls who thought that they were the bee's knees. We are here in our tinsel and our white dresses and we are angels. Uh, the only point this week, she behaved that way. And she, she moved away round and she sat in her seat and they sat there very angelic. Then came the boys. And you heard them before you saw them. Um, first of all, the sheep came in, all, I think, probably 25 of them. And they were, like, all over the place. They were, like, running in, trying to find the seat, kicking each other's chairs. They were falling on the floor. And I thought that was going to be my highlight. I was like, that's hilarious. All these little boys. They were the younger boys who'd been given the job as sheep. They had to sing a song called, We've Been Abandoned. And... Um, <laughs> And they, they went around on their knees and crashed into the wall and all sorts. Like, they played it really well. It was brilliant. But next came in from the back to take their seats the, um, all the other boys. So there was the kings, which there were three of, and the shepherds, that was about four of. Um, and there were some stars. And there was Mary and Joseph. Um, Mary was played by a boy as well. And Jesus. Um, and Jesus and the star were at the front of this procession of boys having a fight on the way in. So they were like pushing each other over and the star was kicking him in the shin on the way in. They were like proper wrestling and all you could hear it, we were on the back row because we were a bit late and as we were on our way, all we could hear them was like, no, I'm in the front, I should go in the front, move out the way, I'm in the front, I'm more important than you. So they had this huge wrestle. Then they all sat down and the show began and it was about finding the perfect Christmas tree which is quite funny and they, um, it was this magical Christmas journey or something it was called. Um, and they, uh, they, basically what happened was there was these four kids at the front who were playing children. They did it very well. And um, there's two boys and two girls. One of the boys had clearly had the script for months. He knew everything. He knew it. He was like up there, standing up straight, reading his lines properly, put, telling everybody else their lines. There was another boy. I'm not sure he'd ever seen the script or been at any rehearsals. He was standing next to it, like just looking around like... I don't, have I been in this hall before? I don't, is this where I have my lunch? I don't, I don't know. Where, and I, he had no idea what he was doing. And they narrate, sort of did the story, and there were some narrators at the front. And the idea of the nativity story that they did was that they took a journey to find the star for the top of the Christmas tree. And they had to keep following the star. That's why he thought he was the most important. So he would set off on the stage, ushered by the boy who knew the lines, like, go now, now it's time to go, get, get off the stage. And they'd all follow him all the way around the audience and then back up and then there'd be a new scene. So they were like, oh, here we are at the sheep. Where are the shepherds? They're not here. And all these sheep are like walking into walls. And then they did it again and they arrived at the next bit, which was... Uh, the, king, uh, the kings, I think, and they saw, saw, saw the kings, and then they did it again, found the shepherds, and then they finally arrive at the stable. Um, but the, interesting, the whole way around, so the first journey they took, and they would come across the sheep, they got to the sheep, and the boy, who had not seen the script, went, where's Jesus? <laughs> like, really audibly loudly, and like, we were all like, okay, <laughs> and the teacher's going, shh, shh, he'll be here in a minute, he'll be here in a minute, shh. And so, um, so they carried on the thing, and they went around again, and they got to the, the kings. He was like, where's Jesus? <laughs> and so she ushered him around again. And as he's coming up to the stage the third time, Joe was like, I'm going to do it in time with him. And um, Joe was like ready to like, announce this boy's non-line, where he went. He said, I've been waiting ages. I haven't found him. <laughs> and the, the boy who knew his lines was getting really mad with this boy who clearly had no idea of the storyline or anything. Anyway, eventually... They arrive at the stable, and there is Jesus. And the, the narrator says something along the lines of, and they arrive at the stable and discover Jesus, the most important part of the story. And Jesus sat up and went, turned to the star and went, told you I was more important than you. 
At which point, this, this star just like leathered him. <laughs> like he just went for him and the teacher separated the whole thing. Apparently, my mum and dad went to the second showing of that nativity and it was much calmer. There was a lot less people involved in it. So I think there'd been some injuries. But it was like, Joe sat there going like, this is brilliant. Like, I'm going to come to more school events. It was like, and I felt for the teachers, it was like their nightmare. But, um, but anyway, we, we had a very eventful nativity showing on this particular occasion. And, um, and, and I enjoyed it a lot. It was great. But what I took from it was I kept thinking... I think I was that boy. Not in my nativity play. I was a bit more compliant than that. But I think I spent most of my childhood, when it got to Christmas, being like, where's Jesus? Like, that's the, that's the highlight, isn't it? Like, we're looking for him. Where is, he's in the manger. Like, like, let's get to that bit. Let's cut, to the, let's cut the chase. Let's just get to the important bit. Let's get to the end. And I think I can be like that at Christmas as well. I'm a bit like, Christmas Day is the thing, isn't it? That's the thing we're aiming for at Christmas. And it got me thinking that actually, what if... What if the, the God that we're looking for in the manger in this nativity story actually was more found in the, in the journey than in the manger? What if the kings and their willingness to use their intelligence and their intellect to answer a question and, and find something actually was the, the good and the God that we were looking for all the time in this manger? What if the, the shepherds' willingness to abandon everything they knew and their livelihood on this thing in search of something more was really the God and the good that we are looking for in this nativity story. What if Joseph's willingness to be loyal to Mary amongst everything that was going on was really the good and the God that we were looking for in this nativity story? And I was thinking, actually... There is so, so often we've just focused on this destination of the manger. We've got to get there on this journey. But actually, what if that journey and all the stuff that was involved in that was really what was supposed to be signposted to all along by this manger? And, and this year, even at Christmas, I was thinking, I think there is, like, this nativity story is great. But it is. It's from a long time ago. It's, it's a historic story that has great meaning and it, it signals great stuff for us. But actually, what about this year? What if the good and the God that we are looking for can be found in the queue at Marks and Spencer's with an unexpected friendship with somebody who's struggling at Christmas? Like, what if it can be found as being the peacemaker at Christmas dinner when Aunt Beryl argues with somebody else or says something incredibly inappropriate? What if the good and the God can be found in the peaceful walk after lunch at Christmas when we evacuate? the building and try and get some fresh air. What if it can be found in all of that stuff and not just in the manger? There you go. Isn't that powerful? I love that clip. I remember learning about that at school, actually. I did history A-level. And when you just learn it as a fact, it's a bit different. But when they've made it into something a bit more emotive, and I know that's sort of for the purpose of an advert... I think it helps put into context a little bit what was happening there. And it, it, it's very true. It, it was accounted for in photographs and documents that this happened. And I don't want to belittle war here, and, but the gravitas of it and what those guys went through on the front line. Um, and they were fighting someone else's war, really, someone else's bureaucracy, someone else's territory. And, and I'm sure they were, some of them were in it and, and, and stuff, but... You know, they had nothing to lose there. They were at that point where they were at the end of everything. And it was like, what I love about the analogy of this clip is that they met and found truce in no man's land. And that bit in the middle where there's no, nothing going on, there's no agendas, that's where they met and they found peace. 
And it made me think a little bit about this festive season and whether we want to or not, I think we can't help but be reflective at Christmas and at New Year. Um, and I know I am, and, and, and I'm someone, you know, I'm a mum, I've got f four kids collectively, and it's crazy. And I find it stressful, I also find it uh, wonderful and a mixture of lots of things, as well as um, emotional for those who aren't with us now. Um, and I think we can't help but, but, but look over at what's been and what's coming. And a lot of us are probably fighting our own wars this Christmas. You know, we, we, it's great to look at Christmas as being this positive thing, but for some people it's not. Some people are at war with their finances. You might be at war with your feelings, uh, with your family and friends. You might be at war with your anxiety and the to-do list. Are you at war with your ability to love yourself? Uh, your sense of inferiority, your need to stay strong for others, at war with your people-pleasing. Oh, my God, that's massive at Christmas as well, isn't it? You know, at war with your disappointment in others, at war with your ex over the kids, wow, and at war with your worry of what's next. Uh, but the bit in between, the land with no man, no occupation or possession, that's where a truce can be made and peace can reign. And last week when we were doing our talk with Rob, you know, discussion, someone on our table, we were talking about the significance of the spirit and God. And this person sort of said, I, I see it, but I can also take it or leave it in terms of God is in, in the God that we kind of promote here. And she said, because I know a lot of people who live quite successfully in life and positively and have good not just good, but they, they've got a way of living that works for them. And it got me thinking, well, what's the common thread then in it? Because, you know, you don't have to just come to church and believe in God to, like, be a good person and know how to handle things and stuff. And I think, for me, it reminded me of what I brought the other week about how the three things remain, and that's faith, hope, and love. And I think it doesn't really matter necessarily what you have faith in, as long as you've got faith in something beyond yourself and I think as long as you know love you can then know hope and then you can have faith and it got me thinking that really these three things are the vital part of our humanity and being human and the word made flesh like Joel brought it it's that stuff that runs through like Beth was just saying and Jenny said about growing new traditions you know in our reflections what are we bringing into the new year you know, the stuff, see the light within and beyond it. And that's where real hope lives. So I think that faith, hope and love can cause a truce in our lives where we're willing to step into no man's land and come away from just our humanity. And Christmas is that time to reflect on that and think about that and how we're going to then bring that into the new year. And I'd like to invite you all, actually, to come to Kelly and Beth's Reflection Night this week. I'm going to come along with George. I think it might be an important moment for us all to have just some quiet time to reflect and think about what it is that we have love, feel love from, have hope in, and have faith for. Because I think it's quite important to think about that and what that's going to do for you and your life and your wars and your things that you were fighting. So I know I've kind of brought the mood down a little bit. I'm sorry. But um, I think it's important to think and be reflective this Christmas season. So I invite you to come along on Tuesday. And, um, and yeah, and I hope you all have a lovely festive season. It's been a cool morning, hasn't it? 
I think one thing that we definitely have as a strength here as a community is our diversity. You're going to get lots of different things from different people. And I think that creates something really great together. So I wanted to reflect on some of that. But first, um, I just wanted to give you some extra reminders. Claire's already mentioned the evening of reflection, which is this Tuesday at 7.30. Did I get that right? Um, so that'll be in the main hall. Um, by the way, it's not just we're going to sit in a hall and be quiet for an hour and a half. Um, I saw some of the resources that Kelly had put some time into kind of creating for it. And um, there's some really cool stuff that will help you engage with the opportunity to really reflect and be quiet. And so there's some cool stuff to engage with there. So um, come along and support what these guys are doing. Um, walk and talk on the 13th of January. If you fancy getting a bit of fresh air and working off the Christmas turkey belly that you've got, then that will be a good opportunity. And it's a good opportunity to touch base, chat with each other. Um, and we will be back here. I'm not sure whether we'll be in here or in there. Some point in this building on the 7th of January um, for the first queue of 2024. And I wanted to say some thank yous. Um, but uh, you may or may not have seen a video. I think we've shown it here before. But it's, uh, I think it's an Australian guy. And he's... Uh, talking to his wife about the magic table that they have in their flat. And he says, this table's incredible. He said, like, I can, like, he said, look at this, like, I can throw any old crap on this table, like magazines, or, like, my old underwear, clothes, whatever, cups. Like, he said, sometimes I push it as far as I can. And I come back the next day, and it's gone. And it's amazing. He says, like, we've got, we've got a washing basket at the same. He's like, I can put anything in there and the next day it's like magically folded up on my bed and she's looking at him like and how do you think that happens um the reason that came to mind this morning was because none of anything that we do just happens um from the tables being set up in this room today um somebody i'm not going to say who it was because they don't like to be uh, <laughs> they don't like their name to be promoted but they do an awful lot around here and uh, they they came in and set them up in their free time um an evening of reflection that doesn't just happen it took some time um have you ever walked around a room and spotted all the cobwebs well here there aren't a lot because we have a cleaner who comes in and does that or people just go out of their way to do it uh tea and coffee on a sunday morning doesn't just happen when people get up and sing beautiful parts, they don't just think that up on the spot. That might take hours through the week of them meticulously listening to that thing and making that happen. There are people who are doing the kids stuff every week. There's loads of energy and time that goes into preparing that. Everybody who's got up and spoken here today, I know has taken a lot of time to think about what they want to do, what they want to say, so that we all get something brilliant. So this ain't no magic basket. It, it takes some time, it takes some effort, it takes some investment. And I know a lot of you in this room who might never get up and say anything on the microphone, but invested so much time, so much money, so much loyalty over the years, you are all a part of why anything that happens here happens. We had an incredible show uh, a couple of, it was about a month ago now, wasn't it? And time flies. There were so many people who put so much time into that. Joel and Connie put absolutely months of daily preparation into that. But there were all sorts of people involved along the way to make something cool happen. So, uh, yeah, there is no magic basket. And if we want to continue to have that, it's going to take that continued investment if that is what we want. Okay, what time have I got left? So, yeah, thank you, everyone. 
Okay, so I just wanted to touch on a little bit of what everybody had said, just to bring it home, because it's really easy to, to miss bits. This is what I heard, this is what I thought might have been the thread that came through. So there's been a, a phrase in my head, which has been about glory. Um, and glory feels like a bit of a Christmassy word to me. It's one of those things, uh, I was at a concert the other day and they did that bit where it goes, glory. Um, what is glory? I don't know if you ever think about what that is. It always reminds me of Albert, Joel's granddad, who used to shout glory in the middle of... But what is it? Um, I remember Anthony talking years ago about, he said, glory is the manifestation of the presence of God. Now, the God word might be helpful for some of you. It might not be. But we have had that phrase put in all sorts of different ways this morning. The word becoming flesh. Spirit becoming substance. The incarnation, which is, if you think of chili con carne, carne is meat, it's flesh. So incarnation is when God or the Spirit became flesh in Jesus. Um, but we've, what we've been looking at this morning is how Christmas isn't about that thing that was a story with a little baby in a manger. Christmas is about what are we, how are we living our life on a daily basis to make that spirit become flesh. Now, there's a verse that came into my head this week, which is from Colossians, and it says, there is a mystery. Yes. And the mystery is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now, hope is the word that draw my attention there. Because hope is something that's possible, it's potential, but it's not actually actualized yet. It hasn't actually become a thing. So I wonder, what are your hopes? If you've got kids, they've probably given you a Christmas list. If you've got family that ask you, what does your husband want for Christmas? And you're scratching your head because they think, well, I've already got everything I want. I wonder what it is that you are wondering and hoping for in 2024, or maybe further down the line. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I've kind of got past hope. <laughs> kind of got to a point where I'm not really sure there's anything to hope for. I feel a bit stuck. I feel like that can't happen anymore because of these people or these circumstances or these things. Richard Raw was saying about how spirit can reveal itself in matter. And that's the idea of Christmas. Spirit, word can become flesh. But I think there are some things that can stop that, and that is what people have reflected on this morning. So Joel started out with that, um, that video from Star Wars, and in it, Yoda was saying, these texts, they're not the important thing. This girl, Ray, she's already got everything that she needs. So I think sometimes we can get too hung up on the dogmas and the texts. Allow them to reveal something, but sometimes they can stop us really fully being that glory and having that glorious life that might be possible. In that thing as well, it was talking about um, you always look to the horizon. Sometimes we're always looking out there for an answer rather than realizing that maybe we already have everything that we need. And that's the message that we've Jenny brought a while ago about um, the universal Christ and the Christ that's within us. That idea is that everything that you need for your bucket list and your wish list in life, you have an incredible potential Maybe the things that are stopping us are what Jenny said, traditions that we won't let grow. Christmas is full of traditions, and I think Christian traditions are the things that we love often about Christmas. Um, but maybe we need to smash some of those or try something new in order to really fulfill that potential. 
Beth talked about getting focused on irrelevant details, like the little kids in a nativity. Sometimes we're so obsessed with like little niggly differences we have with people or us wanting to be first that we actually lose the potential of a moment that might be right in front of us. Claire talked about the us and them of war. I think that clip, it just showed me how we can get so obsessed and waste time and energy on things that tend to be about me and you and us and them and we get this kind of divisiveness that actually stops us really manifesting that glory. She said that there are things that we often battle with and are at war with. Maybe they're the things that stop us manifesting that glory. So I want you to just pause for 30 seconds and think, what are the things that you're hoping for? We're going to wrap up with a song which is, your latter will be greater than your past. Will it? Do you think it will? Or do you think, well, the good old days were back when we did this. And the really good times when we did that stuff. But is your focus looking back there? Or do you actually think the next 10, 20 years of your life are going to be better than the previous 10 or 20? That won't just happen, just like the magic basket. The next 10 to 20 years of your life won't be glorious unless we change something and engage with that hope of that Christ that is in us. There was one little bit I wanted to read, actually, of the Beyonce quote, because it was brilliant. If you feel insignificant, you better think again. You better wake up because you're part of something way bigger. You're not just a speck in the universe, not just some words in a Bible verse. You are the living word. I'm just going to read it all because it's bloody amazing. You're part of something way bigger, bigger than you, bigger than we, bigger than the picture that they framed us to see. But now we see it, and it ain't no secret. Understand the truth about that question in your soul. Look up, don't look down, and then watch the answers unfold. Life is your birthright. They hid that in the fine print. So take the pen and rewrite it. I'm going to put it there. Your latter will be greater than your past. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>